Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery, and joining me is the man who's down in the basement. He just locked the cellar door, and he's ready for someone to talk dirty to him. Here's my co-host from the left coast, and your fallen angel. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's one of the hosts of the Tune Styles podcast, another music podcast that dives into a lot of rock-related topics and music-related topics. So please welcome to the podcast the man who don't need nothing but a good time. Here's Brian Colburn from Tune Styles. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. This could be fun. I've, I've, I've seen our scores. <laughs> Yeah, you, you cheated. You get you get that first uh, right up the bat, so you know everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th- <laughs> I'm I am the puppet master. I have to I have to pull all the strings here, so I need to know who I'm going to for for all the talking points. So yeah, all right. Uh, so the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, we ask the all important question: What T-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with Brian. What T-shirt are you wearing? I am wearing Blues Travelers anniversary shirt from their tour last year. Um, it is one of those shirts where when you say that you're wearing a Blues Traveler shirt, it might make some people raise their eyebrows. But for me, there's a pretty big story behind it. I've been a fan of the band for a very long time. And the first time I saw them live was about two months after September 11th. And it was in New York City at the Roseland Ballroom. And John Popper walked out on stage and opened the show with the Star Spangled Banner. And hearing that in New York a mere months after 9-11 and being in that room of New Yorkers was just so magical and amazing. Then after that, the rest of the band came out and the show was fantastic. And at the end of the night, they brought out a bunch of the New York City firefighters onto the stage and it was just one big party. And I was sold on the band from that point on. I've seen them a dozen or so times since then. It was my both of my daughter's first concerts. And in my oldest daughter, who's now 11, when, when I took her to see them when she was turning six, John Popper actually announced to the whole crowd that it was her first concert and her birthday and had the whole crowd wish her a happy birthday, which was amazingly unbelievable. So I've been a huge fan of this band for a long time. And while it's nowhere near close to anything we're talking about, uh, the shirt's awesome. It's the uh, their cat logo. Uh, smoking the joint like it does on every time you see it, and just blues traveler. There you go. Great story. Good uh, good memories associated with uh, seeing blues traveler. Then, yeah, definitely. It's one of those groups where getting to see that first concert look on my daughter's face. Like I'm always going to attach that memory to it. So no matter what happens with the band, their music's always going to hold a real deep special place to me. Yeah, yeah, very cool. All right, Wayne, how about you? What shirt? What T-shirt are you wearing? Well, I don't have, I no longer have my nothing but a good time shirt from the, from the open up and say, ah, tour. It disintegrated many years ago, but in honor of nothing but a good time, I have a blue moon, Belgian white, uh, t-shirt. Okay. Perfect. The, the important part of a man on the moon. Right. Right. Well, I don't know why I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> won't be partaking so um all right so i am uh i'm wearing my most metal shirt that i have in the collection it is my iron maiden legacy of the beast tour that uh my co-host got for me last year so Very um cool. well you'll you'll hear as we go through the 
the record. I'm not a metal guy. I did have a short time frame where I was a pseudo metal guy, I guess you could say. I was a big Judas Priest fan back in the day. What was that? Uh, ninth or 10th grade? Ninth and 10th grade, maybe? Um, went and saw Power Slave. When was Power Slave? Gosh, 87, 88? Yeah, it had to have been 86, we 85 or 86. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I did have, I did have a couple years where I was, I was kind of testing the waters out of being a metal guy, but I'm, Look, I'm not. I'm not anymore. I mean, you can just look at my guest list, and you can see where <laughs> where where, I, where I'm at in my taste the, these days. So, all good. Um, all right. Well, let's jump into this. So, so Brian, usually we start out w- with our guests um, with a little bit of an interview portion. So, I'm going to throw out some questions to you, and um, you know, this is a, a great way for you to also promote your your podcast and, and tell people about tune styles. And I'm trying to remember where I stumbled on your podcast. I think it might've been episode 28, uh, which was bands who've had success after changing lead singers. Yes. I think, I think that's where I stumbled on you. Um, so if people are brand new to tune styles, where, where would they start? Where, where would you point them to, to, to get an idea of, of what your podcast is really about. Well, we kind of have three layers to the show. The first of it is my co-host Jay Sweet and I, we actually came up with the idea in 2018 when we saw Poison and Cheap Trick on their summer tour with Pop Evil. And we just started talking and we realized by the, and we were done tailgating and going into the show that all we had talked about for about two and a half hours was music. And I said, wow, that came very easy. And he said, oh, yeah, dude, we could talk about music all the time. It's, it's a shame we can't get together more often. And we said, oh, well, then let's make an excuse. We'll start a podcast to talk about music and give us that outlet each week. So if you were to start back from the beginning, the first episode we did was based on the Lost Art of the Mixtape, which is something that we're both in our 40s. So we grew up through so many different iterations of how the format and the way people consume music, we're kind of in that lucky generation where we've been able to consume everything from eight track tapes, vinyl, cassettes, CDs into MP3s. And now into streaming, we've kind of seen that entire transition. And we did a long episode where we kind of talked about how we grew up with mixtapes, recording songs off the radio, recording songs uh, off of MTV by, you know, rigging your TV into your stereo system to record and just right. trying to discover new music that way and through word of mouth. And that's what that episode kind of is about. And as we moved on, we've switched topics into the second type of show that we do, which is kind of an interactive show where about a week before we do the episode, we throw something out to our friends and listeners and the writers out there that listen to our show consistently. And we say, hey, what's your guy's favorite blank? So power ballad or... Uh, best guitar solo. And then what we do is we kind of pull all the feedback we get both online in voicemail and via email and we compile it together. And then we kind of riff on all the different songs people came up with and kind of discuss why they would come up with that and why we would agree or disagree with it and kind of have it like a musical roundtable conversation. And then as, as the show grew, we started bringing guests in and those episodes, while we would love to do that roundtable with the guests, it's kind of just lent itself more to interviewing the guest while still including questions 
that would feature in future roundtables that we're going to be doing. So while we're not necessarily doing it, like I've listened to a lot of what you guys do and the fact that you got, uh, you know, not a surf to talk for two hours on the cars debut album and Matt Nathanson to talk about you too. My hat's off to you guys. That's amazing. I've been a fan of the format. I discovered you guys via the cars episode and I've been listening to everyone since. So it's, you know, I think it's awesome that, there's more than one music podcast out there that could, you know, kind of join hands and and share in this love and admiration for music that we all have. So that's my really short answer. <laughs> <laughs> per- perfect. So so going back to the 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 guest thing. So who who's on your bucket list? Who who would you want to have on your podcast to just sit down and I mean, have you reached out to John Popper, for instance? Believe it or not, yes, we have. Uh, that one okay. has been, believe it or not, as much as uh, I've been able to reach out, I think you have to go through kind of the, the proper channels to get it done. So while I've had some conversations with him on Facebook, it's not the same as actually making it come to fruition. So we are working on that, or at least I am. <laughs> I don't think he's sitting at home saying, well, you know, let me figure out what I'm going to squeeze tune styles in. So um, yeah. I'm definitely working on that. I one of my biggest gets, unfortunately, last year, who's somebody I was gunning for since the beginning of the show passed away, which is Rico Cassick from the Cars. That broke my heart. Like we were at a Stone Temple Pilots concert uh, with Rival Sons when we heard the news, and everyone started picking up their phone, and it was just a collective kind of hush over the crowd between the bands because everyone started like elbowing each other and talking about it. And it was just such a big loss for music. Uh, you know, so I would love to get a member of the cars on the show, uh, blues traveler. Obviously I would love to maybe get, you know, Bobby doll, Ricky rocket or CC DeVille on the show to talk with them. Brett, I feel like he's kind of transcended poison almost so much because of what he did on VH one and the apprentice and all his other stuff. I'm not necessarily sure it would be as easy to get him on the show, but again, that, you know, any band that I grew up that, influences me musically. So anything from the dead milkmen to rage against the machine to guns and roses, those are kind of like your higher level bands, at least the latter two. And then there's other bands where, you know, I would love to get somebody from Billy Joel's group or Billy Joel, you know, you got to shoot high and then see where you land with these things. Absolutely. I mean, we, we throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall, seeing what's going to actually stick. And, um, yeah. Yeah, we we liken it to confetti. We throw a big bowl of confetti up in the air and we see what gets caught. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, going through the the management or the PR firms, yeah, that adds an extra layer of of gatekeepership mm-hmm. uh, for for a lot of these for a lot of these artists. Plus, I don't know if you were even to get Brett Michaels, um, Wayne. This this kind of goes back to to when we had John Lamoureux on for the first time, you know, I was asking who, who would you not want to have on your podcast? And he's like, well, I love Eddie money, but I don't know if I'd want Eddie money on the podcast. Cause I don't think that he would be like super truthful. I don't feel like he would, he would reveal anything during, during the interview because he's, he's done the interview circuit. Like he knows, he knows the PR stuff to, to answer. And, and yeah. Well, let me assure you that after this episode, Brett Michaels will not be coming on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll say this. The one thing that makes me scared with every interview, 
we do the interviews from a fan perspective. So we genuinely enjoy and love the artists that we're bringing on. And there's this pause that we have before every episode that I say to my co-host, like, we need to be prepared if this person is standoffish or, you know, let's face it, just kind of a prick. It might ruin our love of the music because having worked in radio for 20 years when jay and i worked at westwood one together we would be you know rubbing elbows with a lot of the people we were bringing in through the studios and there were some people we met like ted nugent nicest guy honestly treated both of us as if we were his friends for 30 years when we met him and then there were some other artists who i'd rather not dig on so i'll just say that spoke to us like we should be cleaning the bottom of their shoes to be in their yeah. presence. And I can't go back and listen to their music now just because of their attitude. Yeah. I've only, we've only had, well, I've, I've only had, cause I did a, uh, I did a solo interview, um, which I haven't, I haven't made live yet. And I'm not even sure if I'm going to. <laughs> um, and it was so, it was so disparate, uh, despairing for me at the, after it, cause I was like, that, just yeah the whole adage of don't meet your heroes because they they'll probably let you down that Mm -hmm. that was that was totally the case and then and then we have we have had plenty of of people on the podcast who after i'm done you know with the interview well with the with the entire episode where i'm just like that was so much fun and now i'm just a huge fan yeah, I mean, going back to the whole Matt Nathanson, I was already a fanboy of Matt Nathanson. I'm that was so much fun. That two and a half hours of just talking about you two was so much fun, and I, I just wish that every episode could be that much fun. So, well, I've got that one on my queue list to listen to. I do know that you and I are, are both of our podcasts have shared a similar guest in G Love and. When yeah. we were done with our G Love interview, I literally looked at Jay and said, oh "My God, if there's any albums I'm missing, I need to pick them up immediately because this guy just blew my mind at how awesome and down to earth he was, and how much he really wasn't just talking about himself. He was really engaged in the conversation and genuinely cared about the questions we were asking. And it just it was so real and so honest. Again, I'm a huge fan for life and was, but that just elevated it to the next level for us." Yeah, G was great with us yeah. as well. Yeah, we, that was a lot of fun. Hopefully I don't let you down with this pick now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, so since you you pick a bunch of topics and then you kind of run with them um, and make episodes around those, because we're, you know, our format is. Yes, I do. We let we let our guests choose, choose a record and then we kind of dive into that record. So the question that I've been thinking about a lot recently is what are the bands that you like that should have been bigger than they were? Ooh, that's a great question. Honestly, there are so many across multiple genres. So like just off the top of my head, I feel a band in the jam band scene like Mo regionally across the East coast. They're extremely popular. They do a little bit on the West coast every now and then, but they're not necessarily a country, uh, you know, a, a, a 
east to west band they genuinely stick to the east coast and having seen them live many many times i liken them to be as strong as fish on the jam band scene um as far as musicality and being able to speak to each other and bounce a song and take it into into new directions night after night so that's a band that i i always felt like every time i saw them i'm surprised i'm not seeing them in a bigger venue so yeah. in in a way that's good but in a way, selfishly, I'm like, well, I'm still glad I get to see them in these venues as opposed to a stadium. Yeah. And I, I, I would think maybe in the uh, hard rock genre, if I want to touch on some of the bands that we talk about, you know, that we're going to be talking about in today's episode, I feel a band like Tesla, who I know they're a well-known band, but I always felt they, along with Cinderella always kind of fell below the radar of a poison who we're going to be talking about, but I always felt like those bands were so much bigger and they had so much more talent. And I was shocked that they were never the big, big thing. Like Tesla never went out and did arenas that I can recall or, you know, PNC bank art centers and stuff like that. And, and I always felt like, wow, these guys had such a thing in 90 with the five man acoustical jam. I'm surprised that didn't continue for them. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were hard working. Cause I, I never went to see Tesla, but I saw them three times because they would they would open for anybody. Like, in fact, the Poison yeah. concert I went to, I I mean, luckily for I was very happy to find out that Warrant canceled and they replaced him with Tesla. And the same thing happened. Wow. When I saw Motley Crue just a little bit, just actually a few months later. And the Tacoma Dome is huge. It holds 20 some thousand uh, Motley Crue. I don't remember who was opening for them, but they went off on their own and Tesla opened up for them. So I ended up, yeah, I, Tesla was a hard working. They were always on the road. They would open for anybody. They would, and they're, yeah, you're right. They were a, they were a solid band, very talented. Yeah. And they still put out albums now and each one I buy, I just listened to their last album was a little more. They had uh Phil, Phil, um, from Def Leppard produce it. Uh, Colin. Phil Colin. Um, Colin, that's it. Yeah. And it's just a little too polished for me. And if you listen to the album, you might understand some of the songs are a little too pop radio, too polished, and they kind of lose that gritty, raw, hard rock that that Tesla was always kind of their bread and butter. So I'm curious. They have a new album, Five Man London Jam, coming out in April, which is a new um, set of acoustic tracks recorded live at Abbey Road Studios. I'll be very curious to hear kind of how that translates. How about you, Wayne? Bands, bands that should have been bigger? Faster Pussycats, and I know you. I know you despise them, but I thought they they were as far as this genre went. They were much more blues based, especially their first album. They started yes. just like the whole thing. It started to become a parody of itself. And Time Me Down is a lot like Brett Michaels in that he thinks he's important to 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 rock and roll. Where if you took either one of them out, the world wouldn't be any different. Uh, but that first yep, album, yep. I think, was was just just raw and sleazy and everything that the whole genre was supposed to be. Uh, I would, I would probably put on my list, um, the posies. That's one of my, one of my bands. Um, Good pick. Good pick. I mean, I've, I've seen them probably half a dozen times live, whether it's acoustic together or full band and they're just, they're just solid. So really looking forward to a new record from them. And, um, you you already brought up Not a Surf. Uh, their last record that just came out a couple weeks ago is 
really good. And that's another band that I'm just like, man, if people would just go see them, like they would realize how magical they, they really are. And they're just, yeah, they're just a solid band. So those would be my, my, my couple picks. We could do a whole episode on, on this. So, well then maybe, uh, Maybe I'm giving in the you future, a, maybe we should. Maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, why don't you guys come on Tune Styles and we could do this as one as an episode of Tune Styles, kind of do that crossover thing on the backside. We could do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Let's we would it. love it. Cool. Let's see. Oh, before we transition over to Poison, so uh, we typically ask our guests their opinion of Toto's Africa, and I know that you guys did an episode about Toto's Africa, <laughs> but kind of from the perspective of the various covers that are, that were out there. So yes. from the Weezer cover, um, I know I, I listened to it months ago. What was your take on the Weezer cover? Did you like it or did you think that it was too close to form? It was okay. I didn't understand why it was getting so much it, why it blew up so much. It was good. The video with Weird Al was hysterical. I thought it was well done. And I thought Weezer's cover was good. It was a little paint by numbers. And that's what kind of gave us the idea of, you know, this song has been done so many times. There's a, a guy in a pizza shop, Mike Massey, who recorded it uh, with just a dude on bass. And it's got like 12 billion views on YouTube. And yeah. I mean, the guy does an incredible version. And then we just started going down that rabbit hole and seeing how many covers there were between Pitbull putting it in one of the, I think it was the men in black movie uh, or justice league. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we just kept finding more and more covers of it. And it just kind of lent itself to a whole episode where we really went down the rabbit hole with the covers. But I, I am, I'm a fan of the song. I wasn't growing up. I kind of became more of a fan of the band when I got more into classic rock as my palette expanded with listening to jam bands and country music. And my iPod started sending me into all these different, you know, genres as I was kind of flipping around on random. And I really went back and, and rediscovered probably about 15, 20 years ago, how much I loved the harmonies and kind of everything about the song, even in, even the cheese, because at the time that was perfectly, that was what music was. So, so I'm going to take it that when I ask you Toto's Africa, good or bad song, you're in the good category. I'm in the good category. Yeah. And I, but yeah. you see, the thing is, I totally understand wh- wh- why and where people put it in the bad category. It makes perfect sense to me. But the beauty of it is, is music is subjective. And as we're about to find out on Poison, mm. there's no right answers here. You're three touchdowns behind now, Wayne. <laughs> I'm just I got letting you, right, you know. Right, right where I want him. Got him right where I want him. You're no Tom Brady, my friend. So <laughs> down 25 at halftime. I can win this. No, no, not before we retire it. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, not we're before we retiring. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. Uh, but I'm, I'm struggling to figure out what's, what is a, what's another transition question that I could be asking guests. So it because this always seems like the good transition question from the interview portion to the the record portion, um, and I'm I don't know what to ask. Um, do you have any suggestions for me? No, no I I say we, they'll tell us when that we should stop asking it. 
Well, I'll wait for Steve Lukather to tell me when it's. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we we got to get. Yeah, I would be curious what his opinion. Let's see what was. they say. <laughs> I already know what his opinion is. So, but he's, he, you know, he's not going to rock the boat because that's paid a lot of bills. Well, what's his name from the from the Wallflowers? Uh, Dylan, Jacob Dylan has said, you know, do I love one headlight as a song? Maybe not, but there's never going to be a wallflower show where I don't pay it because that's afforded me the chance to do what I could do every night. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the one other thing that I, that I forgot to say. So one of the, one of my favorite episodes of any podcast from last year was the one that you did outside your, uh, your friend's house. Um, where it was just a bunch of dads talking about music. Oh, so the musical fun. smorgasbord. Was, yeah. 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 That was, that was fun. We literally, it was in the middle of my daughter's birthday party. My buddies, we were sitting out back and one of my friends said, dude, you guys do this podcast. How, how hard is it to do? I said, I could have a set up here in about five minutes and he goes, do it. Let's talk music. And I, you know, I looked at my wife and she says, we're, we're not doing cake for a while. You got plenty of time. So Jay and I ran down the stairs, grabbed the microphones, threw them up on our back porch, and we just hit record and started going. So there was no pre-planning. Everything was just kind of off the cuff. And it was a lot yeah. of fun to do that. We might try it again this year at our, my daughter's birthday party. Who knows? Very, very cool. Yeah, there were plenty of dad jokes during <laughs> during that time time period. Oh, I'm a big dad joke guy. I think they're great. Oh. I, I love dad jokes. So Okay. Okay, well then I've got one. I've got one for you. This is this is related to to the record that you chose. You ready? Mm-hmm. What do you get when you combine the guitarist from Poison with Billy Gibbons? CC Top. CC Top. Yeah. <laughs> How's that for a dad joke? Oh, that's right up there. Uh, that's awful. <laughs> oh, um. All right. Well. Tell tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. All right. I am going with Poison's 1990s transition album, as I'm going to call it, Flesh and Blood. And the reason I picked it was not because it's one of my favorite albums of all time, but because I've always found it to be an interesting album. It was one of those albums that came out right before the death nail of the hairband scene. 1990 had a lot of huge hair metal albums that people assume were 88 and 89, but Cinderella's heartbreak station, damn Yankees, self-titled extremes, porno graffiti, Queens Reich's empire, uh, slaughter stick it to you. And I had mentioned before five man acoustical jam by Tesla that all came out in 1990. So the hair metal scene didn't really start to fizzle out until the end of 91 when nevermind was really taking over. And I just felt like this album was, it came out in a, in a weird time the band wasn't sure where they wanted to be musically. You could definitely tell that throughout this record. And it transitioned to their following album, which was Native Tongue with uh, Richie Kotzen on lead guitar. That's a, a completely different poison. And I felt like Flesh and Blood was kind of foreshadowing that. And I just thought it would be an amazingly interesting album to talk about. So, so what was the deal? So you mentioned uh, Richie taking over for CC. So what, what happened there? There was a big blowout on the MTV Video Music Awards. Uh, something went down and CC went out on stage and they were supposed to play one of their new singles. And he played the opening, waved the band off, and then started playing Talk Dirty to Me. 
And yeah. if you go back and look on YouTube, the band reluctantly kind of, you know, Ricky Rocket comes in with the drums and they play it. And at the end, Brett Michaels just looks at the camera and goes, that's rock and roll people. And they walk off stage. And apparently backstage, CC and Brett had a fist fight. And that was the end of CC in the band. And that's kind of where that all went down. Gotcha. Well, but CC's back. Right? He's been back, so- yeah, since the 2000s. Yeah, it was about a 10-year argument there. Okay. So this is usually where I I give some bio info of names of of the members of the, of the band, but I figure you guys would know more than more than I would. So so list them off. Go ahead, guys. Wayne, you want to start? There you go. Yeah, Brett Michaels, uh, CC Deville, Bobby Dahl, and Ricky Rocket. And Bobby and Ricky play what? Drums and bass. Bob, yeah, Bobby Dahl is the bassist, and Ricky Rocket is the drummer. Can you can you tell I'm not a big poison fan? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. so so much so much so that uh, I don't know four or five years ago, um, the Tampa Bay Rays used to do these summer series concerts where uh, they would pull a stage out in center field and you could stick around to to listen to whoever. Which you know. I, I I stuck around to listen to Weezer one year. Stuck around for I think the Wallflowers were were one of those years. I don't remember. Um, but one of the years was Brett Michaels. wasn't Poison. It was Brett Michaels. So he th- got to like throw out the first pitch and everything. Um, we watched all nine innings of the baseball game and then went home. <laughs> so. I look at hair metal like my first marriage. I mean, it was fun at first, and but most of what I got from it was what not to do. Now, you see, <laughs> now I will say that Poison is, they do hold a special place in my heart because Poison and David Lee Roth was the first concert I ever went to in April of 1987. Uh, David Lee Roth skyscraper tour. So because Poison was the first band I ever saw the lights go down and the band play, they get a kind of a free pass because that kind of like broke my concert cherry, so to speak. And I've been a huge concert fan ever since. So yeah. you'll get a little bit more of a understanding from my end than probably the rest of the firing squad today. <laughs> Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. I I uh, it is one it's probably my biggest guilty pleasure. I mean, if I was to take a picture of my CD rack in my in my office, there's uh, there's a lot of poison. I got some bullet boys, Bon Jovi. I got it all. I I I just like I say, like my first marriage, it was I I learned a lot about what not to do. <laughs> all right, let's talk about the bio info here. So Flesh and Blood Third studio album by Poison, as you you mentioned, Brian, released in 1990 and uh, released through Enigma, which is uh, a part of Capitol Records. Mm-hmm. This peaked at number two on the Billboard chart, sold over 7.2 million copies worldwide. You guys know what album kept it from the top spot? I want to say it was MC Hammer. Please, Hammer, don't hurt him, but I might be wrong. It was. No, All you're, right. You're completely, <laughs> you're completely right. Go ahead. There was, I was going to say, there's no album that's actually, I think that was number one for almost all of 1990. It was between that, Forever Your Girl by Paula Abdul and Vanilla Ice to the Extreme. I think we're like your three number one albums that year. I, I, I don't think there was many more than that. 
Yeah, that 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 sounds about right. In fact, uh, somebody posted on Twitter uh, a couple days ago what the chart looked like at the end of 1988 and early 1989. And uh, I looked at that chart, the, the, that top 25, and I'm like, I can literally tell you that there's only two songs on that entire chart that I would even remotely listen to the, the, <laughs> today. That there's just this, I don't know, between 88 and 90, there's just, for me, it's a black hole. There, there weren't many albums during that time period where I go back to. Um, I mean, honestly, even, you know, even going back to U2, Rattle and Hum came out in, you know, 88 time period. Um, I don't listen to that record. I, I liked it back then, but I, I don't. I don't go back and listen to that. That's interesting. I, I don't know. Yeah, and and I tell everybody that I feel like 1987 was the best year of music. And maybe that's the old man in me where it's like, you know, kids these days don't know what they're listening to. But um, no. Appetite it's, it's for 80- Destruction was 87, yeah, right? Absolutely. Correct. Um, I was going to say, because in my mind, when you say the black hole of 88 and 89, I'm thinking to myself, well, you had... Aerosmith between Permanent Vacation and Pump, those were solid. You had The Razor's Edge, which I think was 90 by ACDC, was a very solid album. I feel like there was, but again, most of your albums in that were either hip hop and dance or you were going to get your Skid Row self-titled, which was another great album. Um, But yeah, I I see where you get what you're saying because there was definitely a lot of that late 80s kind of fluff that filled out the, the charts at that point. I mean, I think the only couple records from that time period that I still will go and listen to on on occasion, so REM's Green and okay. the Cure's Disintegration came around, came out in you know eighty eight eighty nine time period, and that I think is about it. Like I, like I said, I feel like it's kind of this black hole. You mentioned some really solid rock um, rock albums. I just don't. That's not where I go to. So right, right, um, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's dive into this. We're going to go track by track as per usual. Um, we'll talk about the the number of singles that came out. And as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? Fourteen. Which means top song is going to get fourteen points. Next favorite song, thirteen on down to lowest score of one. So we're going to kick this off, and I don't know if I can even call this a song uh, to start out. I'm going to say the first track. How's that? First track. This is uh, Strange Days of Uncle Jack. All right. So I'm just going to throw this out there. This intro is completely unnecessary. Um, And like I said, I was going to say first song, but it's not really a song. It's just completely unnecessary noise. And... I'm the sequencing guy. I, I love good sequencing. I'm always talking about um, how to start off a record and how to end a record and transitioning. Um, this is a horrible way to start a record, in my opinion. <laughs> and here's how completely pointless this song is. For the first time ever, I am choosing not to do a sound clip for a song. 
That's how much I, I, I don't even want to subject our listeners to even 10 seconds of this. So there you go. I got all my vitriol out. Uh, I will have some nice things to say about this record. I just don't have anything nice to say about this, this track. Okay. Well, the way I, I looked at this, um, it, it, it got a higher score than you would probably think, but that's because there's some real, real crap on here. Um, but this, I don't think is, I don't think is, I think it is a good intro. It does kind of have, it's, it's, it could have transitioned better into the actual song, the the next song, but it's kind of like Intruder or 1984. Um, the, the, uh, the answering machine thing kind of keeps with this cause it's this whole runaway to the big city kind of thing that it does. I, I, I didn't mind it at all. I, if it was gone, I wouldn't miss it. I would say that, but I think that it, it did. And that's like I say, every this when you think of this band, if you look at the the structure of it, this is a Van Halen and you know, us festival Van Halen knockoff. That's what a lot of those bands were. And I don't say that like that's a bad thing because I think 1985 Van Halen is is probably maybe my favorite band of all time. But this is the structure, the lickety split guitar player, the drummer that hits hard. And the lead singer that all the ladies want, the hairs flying everywhere. Uh, this is this they're of that prototype. And Van Halen was as good as you could get at taking a song that intro. It was basically just a really cool intro into an into the next song. I agree. I think the reason this song works, I'm not even going to call it a song. This piece works in the album is going to be the theme of a lot of what I'm talking about. This is a band that's in transition with this album. Their first two albums were really glam party albums. Their every song was about drinking and sex and drugs, and they did not hold back from those three genres. This album, they were starting to grow up a little bit. I'm using quote marks that you don't see when I say growing (laughs) up, but they were, they were grasping trying to find a balance with the sex, drugs, and rock and roll from the first two albums, trying to evolve into a post-appetite-for-destruction world where music, maybe the -the over-the-top glam was starting to become a little passe, and Poison was trying to evolve with the time and get more of a serious edge like a Guns N' Roses had at the time. And all this song is to me is background noise. And if you listen very carefully in the lower right-hand channel, you can hear some some of CeCe's doodling in the background. Um, Not really a song. My notes are this is a non-track to me. But if you're listening to the album from start to finish, I don't mind it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get some scores on this. Like I said, this is my one. And then Brian. Oh, one, definitely. And then Wayne. Uh, you guys are crazy. I gave this a five. Not that that's impressive, but oh like gosh. I say, what? <laughs> yeah, no, you just just wait. Just oh wait. my god, that's awesome! <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, yeah, and and Brian, to to your point of this being a transition, so let's transition to Valley of Lost Souls because I want to touch on whether or not this is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, sure. Ass, gas, the grass. I think uh, that's exactly the line that I was going to use. Is okay. Um, yeah.
I don't I don't know how much they're transitioning. Yeah, there's a couple songs that are not about the the ass, gas, and grass, but um yeah, this is definitely keeping with the formula of the first two records for sure. Um so so here's here's my the my lone vitriol for for this song is even with Strange Days of Uncle Jack being your intro, do you guys realize that it takes nearly 45 seconds for this song to really get started? Like, what was the whole point mm-hmm. of having Strange Days of Uncle Jack if you're going to spend f- another 45 seconds of of getting us revved up for this song? That's interesting because the first, I, I'll be honest with you, my first copy of Flesh and Blood was cassette. So in my mind... I always thought Strange Days of Uncle Jack was the first 45 seconds of Valley of Lost Souls where there's the music. I just thought that Swamp Noise and Doodling was a very long intro. It wasn't until I bought the CD that I realized that 45-second musical intro of Valley of Lost Souls is actually that. But that's the the that 45-second intro is what the band has been using in concert ever since to open up their show. But instead of playing Valley of Lost Souls, they take it from that intro right into Look What the Cat Dragged In. Yeah. So it, it, it's kind of weird. I always thought it was Strange Days of Uncle Jack, and I was surprised to find out that Strange Day of Uncle Jack is nothing more than swamp noise and nothing. Yeah. So, so since you're more the metal guy, was this the formula back then where there was all, a lot of bands were employing this formula of really long intros and nonsensical, you know, nonsensical intros before you're jumping into the actual. Yeah. That's not new to, I mean, that's hit or miss. I mean, some people do it well, but you can't do it all the time, but definitely I think like welcome to the jungle, you want to, it has that nice long, intro to get you going. The thing I will just, I want to make a cut. He said he bought this on cassette. I, I bought this the week it came out at tower records on CD. So I, I, I'm more of a poison fan than I'm, than I'm trying to let on, or it may sound like I am, but uh, this, this is a good start. I think it, I mean, cause I think when you, if you're going to do that with a long intro and a, a, you're, you want it to be in the beginning. Yeah. You're trying to get people revved up. I don't, this song is funny as one of my notes is, it's a little more grown up. I mean, some of these lyrics are actually pretty good. Yes. But this isn't a genre that's that's supposed to grow up. I don't I, this is like Peter Pan genre right here. It's you're always supposed to be 17 and trying to get laid and trying to try to get somebody <laughs> to buy you booze. And so I think when you try to stretch out and transition into something you're not capable, I think that's why the whole thing some bands were able to do it. Very few, but but they were they they should stay in their in their wheelhouse. But yeah, I want to know what Boston Justice is. That I should have urban dictionary that. Mm. Well, I have to ask you, Wayne, being you got the CD the week it came out, because I got the cassette the week it came out from Caldor, if you really want to laugh. Um, did you have the version? I don't know that. Uh, they were like a Bradley's kind of a, a whatever Target okay. Walmart are now. Caldor was an East yeah. Coast version back then. Um, did you get the version with the blood on the yeah. cover? Because that's what my cassette was, and then when I found when I went to buy the CD, had to buy it used because I didn't want the altered cover. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I bought it at Tower Records the, the week it came out. That Walmart was, I think, who banned it. Which it's funny that 
first of all, I have some tattoos and I they've never bled like that. You your guys No, no. Your guy's not good. <laughs> Terrible He's tattoo doing, artist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I thought and Brett Michaels just had to have loved that he got a band cover. He had to have just been in seventh heaven when he when he found out that somebody banned the cover. Well, there was that's the second time because Open Up and Say Ah also got banned because of the satanic tongue. And they had to put the black bars on the top and bottom of the album. I forgot about that. So that they had back-to-back band album covers. Yeah, they're, they're it's almost like smell the glove here, right? Yeah, they're legit. <laughs> All right. What else we want to say about Valley of Lost Souls? Anything? Well, I, I had in my notes agreeing with Wayne saying the song is kind of introducing their more mature, less glam version, especially lyrically in this song. This is where the ass meets the grass. Sure, that's part of the sex but if you listen to some of the other lyrics they're trying to look brett michaels is not a master lyricist he is never going to be someone who's known for his poetic you know meaningful words so there's a kind of a bar that's set here so when i say mature i'm not talking we're not getting into leonard cohen territory here we're not getting into john hyatt and there's a level of 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 maturity and it's only going to be met when you hit that ceiling of whatever hair metal is. Right. If we're comparing you to Angus Young, then yeah, there's a there's a level of maturity. So kudos to Brett for that. Exactly. So I, I, again, this whole album to me is them transitioning into what would become Native Tongue, their most mature album, if, in, again, in quote marks, because <laughs> Richie Kotzen really brought in a bluesy style of playing that when you listen to that album, and we'll talk about more as this album progresses, it's, they are trying to grow up. I'm not saying they succeeded in it, but they're definitely trying to change with the times and evolve when Nirvana and Pearl Jam and, and all these Alice in Chains were kind of upcoming with this less glam version of hard rock. Yeah. All right. Let's get some scores on Valley of Lost Souls. Wayne, what you got? I gave it 11. Um, it does. It sounds like you said, a progression from their, they, their albums got progressively worse. That's not never a good sign. Look what the cat dragged in I, is if you ever look and I'm sure Ben doesn't do this, but if you ever look at the best hair metal records, look what the cat dragged in is on every single list of the best mm-hmm, ones mm-hmm. and open up and say, ah, was slightly you know, not as good just by a little bit. This is a little more and then it goes even more. But when they give the people what they want, which, and some of these lyrics are like, say that ass gas or grasp verse, you know, starts out with the Greyhound limousine straight to grand central NYC for Brett Michaels. That's, you know, that's Neil Young, Bob Dylan. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. All right, Brian. I gave it an eight. Uh, I think some of my higher scores are going to surprise you later on down down this album. So, all right, and this is my five. I just didn't really didn't really dig the song. <laughs> um, all right, next song: Flesh and Blood Sacrifice.
And um, this is where I'm going to go point and counterpoint. So who wants to be point and who wants to be counterpoint? I don't know what the point is to know if I want to be the counterpoint. What's your point? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> All right. Then, um, Wayne, tell, tell, tell us why this is one of your least favorite songs on the record. Oh, <laughs> when I heard this song, I knew that I would not be buying any more Poison Records. It's, I, I, I mean, he got one tattoo and he thinks he's in the Hell's Angels all of a sudden. And <laughs> this song is not, it's not fun. And and like I say, there's something, and this will come up a lot, but when he does the, these songs, there's there's four songs that stand out to me where the rest of the band, you can you can literally hear that they are not, they're not into this. They're not, there's, there's a lack of inspiration because one of the highlights of poison, one thing that they do extremely well is harmonies when the, uh, and you can hear at least, you know, Ricky rocket and Bobby doll, CC DeVille from his speaking voice. I'm going to say probably doesn't do a lot of the, the background vocals, but you can, when you, when they harmonize, they can really, they can really take it to another level. But when they're singing something like this, you can just, I mean, the drum, I mean, Ricky Rocket hits hard on the drums and it's, you just, it's not there. These is, it's just cliche. I, I still, and I laugh that they got, they got the blood on the cover, got them banned, like a real rock and roll band. <laughs> All right, Brian, counterpoint. Okay. So I'm going to start with, I love the opening riff and what Ricky Rocket's doing on the drums during the first part of the verse was very unsuspecting. I was not suspecting that as a kid after listening to look what the cat dragged in and open up and say, ah, so the fact that he was doing off timing drum fills and kind of building into this song was different for poison for me. I'm a huge, huge, huge ACDC fan. So that style of, you know, meat and potatoes, hard rock, I felt was coming out in this song, but I will say that the lyrics are cringeworthy. Oh. They literally were going for, for too many cliches and puns, but this song, as much as the lyrics are cheesy, it's not the album's worst offender, but to open up a song with like animals, we're going to make it. You give an inch, I'm going to take it. I could have written that at 12 years old. I probably yeah, did. Steal at some your point. love like a thief. Like what else would yeah. you steal it? Like, you know, like, like, yeah. but the second verse, it looks like maybe they had a ghost writer come in or something, but the second verse, the lyrics while still slightly cliched were a little more abstract as opposed to being direct and over the top. And I see, you know, and I kind of felt like, okay, this I'll look past the first verse. Cause it, it kind of grows throughout the album in its maturity quote mark maturity uh but yeah uh, i love the groove of the song but i think the lyrics are what knocked it down for, for me for some yeah and and for the lyrics so in the liner notes for the greatest hits brett michaels says this he says at the time i was heavily reading horror books especially about dracula the song is based on fantasy it's about the love between a man and a woman who spend eternity together Heavy, heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I did want to bounce off one other thing that Wayne had said. Um, he had mentioned about CC DeVille singing. 
there's an album out that came out around 2000. It's kind of a pop punk album. It's by a band called Samantha Seven, which featured CC Deville on lead guitar and vocals, and Ty Longley, who was unfortunately killed in the station, the Great White Station Fire, was part of that band. And I had a chance to see them live. And you know what, CC Deville for Poison might not have the voice, but for the pop punk he did with Samantha Seven, it actually worked. All right, cool. There you go. Um. Do you guys realize that this was released as a single? <laughs> yeah, the last single of the album, which is why there were no more. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't I don't see anywhere on the old internet that it charted anywhere. And I love I love the deceptive way whoever updated the Wikipedia page for the song. So they wrote the album peaked at number two on the Billboard chart. Um <laughs> We're talking about the single. We're not talking about the album. Um, so I had to do a double take because I was like, this was a yeah, number two yeah. song. I'm like, oh, you're talking about the record. That was deceiving. Yeah, you should flag that one. That's a- <laughs> Yeah. Okay. My final thought for this song. This is the song that you base the title of your record on? <laughs> okay. That's all I got. All right. Let's get some scores. Wayne. Uh I wish I had more of these twos to hand out, but this is a two. It it melts my heart like fire and ice. Ridiculous. Brian. <laughs> I, I actually went with a 12 based on the music part of the song that I, the groove and the drums. Um, I, I love that kind of ACDC rock straight ahead feel. I just, the lyrics kind of brought it down for me a few points. Yeah. And I'm giving this an eight because this this is one of those songs that uh, got in my noggin, <laughs> and I it, because it is catchy. It is a catchy I song. Really bang my head against my brick hearth. <laughs> if that got in, right. and the the last thing the last thing I'll say about it, if you do look at the lyrics to the to the uh, chorus of the song, they never really even try to rhyme a word with anything other than the exact word. <laughs> So sacrifice, sacrifice, and fire and ice, fire and ice are the two rhymes. So I mean, like they really did not try. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, they did not. All right. Next song is Swamp Juice in parentheses, Soul O. Wayne, your score is ridiculous. No, please, actually please get not. us started with this. Okay, Go ahead. First of all, this is at least interesting. And like I say, I think CC DeVille is the by far the most interesting personality in this band. And I, I love that he did I love that he did that at the, the like fuck this. We're just gonna we're gonna do this right on stage and showed up Brett Michaels right in front of everybody. He's and the, he's a great guitar player. And he's one of the guitar players from that that period of time that I feel like in most cases I could pick him out. If you played a CC Deville solo or a riff from a song, I I would not CC Deville. I he's one of the recognizable figures you know, guitar players in this area. And like I say, it's mm-hmm. really bluesy. It's swampy. It literally it it's 
got a great, you know, muggy, steamy heat to it that I liked. I know, but you're giving your 10 to a minute and 26 second blue solo, which is just meant to be a transition song. Uh, and it, and you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't transit. I mean, it transitions. It doesn't, it, I, he, they could have, I don't know if they could have made it a longer intro to something. If it, if they had, maybe if they coupled it with the song, the long, the song on the end, but it's, that's, that's not relative. It's more of a statement on how bad life goes on ride, like the wind and something to believe in are. Okay. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, so for swamp juice, I love the song. I did not grade it well because I felt it was just that a transition, but I felt like this song was a statement from CC DeVille trying to prove that he wasn't just a shredder because like Wayne said, he has a very distinct style. It's speed. It's a, a lot of high end notes and it's, it's mostly meant as that glam and over excess guitar solos this was different in the fact that he was doing something with finger picking and a slide and acoustic. And again, it was showing a more mature side of CC DeVille's guitar playing. And I, again, I, I know I'm going to keep hammering that throughout this record, but you try to put swamp juice on look what the cat dragged in. You can't, there's no place for it. And I think what they're doing on flesh and blood shows there is place for it. And it's just, again, you put this on native tongue. If CC had played on that album, it would have been a perfect fit. So, I mean, it's definitely that transition into maturity, which again, quote marks around maturity. Sure. All right. Let's get some scores. Wayne. A 10. He gets extra points just for getting Brett Michaels to, to put this on here. Cause I'm sure Bruce fair, Fairbairn had to be something had to do, had to be somebody he had to have advocated for him. Yeah. All right. Brian. I gave it a two just based on the fact that I felt like it was a transition song and I wanted to kind of put the the song songs higher up in the list. Yeah. Yeah. This is my three. All right. That transitions us to Unskinny Bob. Single from the record, song peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100, number five on the mainstream rock charts, and this is the band's second highest success, if you're just looking at straight up charts, after Every Rose Has Its Thorn, of course. Let's let's talk about the music video before we jump into the uh, into the song itself. What do, you, what do you guys think about Brett Michaels dancing with uh, some animated neon cowgirls? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they probably got the idea from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Something. <laughs> yeah. Again, look at the time frame. Um, and then, of course, uh, Cece is getting a private session of some sort with some hot babes at the end of it. So, yeah. 
the funny thing is what I took away from the video was, and I'm probably going to get mocked for this, but when I first saw Bobby Dahl just kind of leaning up against the bass amp, kind of chugging along on that bass note with the cigarette dangling out of his mouth, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young, impressionable 11-year-old. And I was like, oh man, the bass is kind of cool. And the more I listened to the song, hearing the bass run that he was doing through the chorus kind of is what made me think, oh, if I ever wanted to pick up an instrument, maybe I would play bass guitar. And believe it or not, that was a conversation I started having with my folks and I ended up picking up a bass. So believe it or not, Unskinny Bop in my young, impressionable mind was one of those gateway songs to get me to pick up an instrument. There you go. Cool. All right. What is this song even about? Like, I, so, I, is it about having sex song. with an overweight person? No, I'm I not think, sure I, what an in, unskinny bop is. Well, and I think that that's what I, I have to believe that was the because apparently this is a piece that Cece wrote and that was what he called it as a placeholder. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but there isn't any references to overweight young ladies in the song. So I, I have a tendency to believe it. But this is about what all their good songs are about getting laid. This is, I mean, from that beginning mm-hmm. riff, that's very, you know, it's, it's fun. And there's all, it's full of all of these corny sexual innuendos, but that's what they're good at. I mean, when they stay in their lane, they, they're, they're what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be fun. Do you have, do you have my notes in front of you, Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> like gasoline, you want to pump. Me. I know, I know. Yeah. Absolutely. And what's the one yeah. is who's riding who at the end of the race. It's this, but once again, it's, is it it's absolute corny sexual innuendo, but that's what he's good at. So when he tries to write it, write about, you know, all, all some of the other topics that we'll discuss later, he comes off completely vacuous. But when he's like, say when he stays in his lane and writes songs that he, that he's capable of writing, you can hear there's an added boost in the rest of the band where they go in and record these songs that are poison songs. And this is as good as anything that they had that they did on this record. I mean, it is a little bit in a, in a weird way, very air quotation mark, more mature from what they had done, but not in a necessarily lyrically. But I think musically, it has some kind of more mature elements to it. But ultimately, they they stick with what they know and they dance with who brought them and and they they are what they're supposed to be. I couldn't agree more. This song, I, I seriously think you have my notes in front of you too, because I wrote the song is undeniably fun, has a great groove and an amazing bass run, which again, for me, amazing at the time. I, I was not, I had never discovered Les Claypool at this point or Phil Lesh or some of my other favorite bass players or Flea I was starting to get into at this point. But again, it was that bass groove. And I put the lyrics are cheesy, but they need to be. This song would have fit on either of their first two albums, and it was Poison's Wheelhouse. And you're not looking to Limp Biscuit for a serious, you know, uh, a, a diatribe on the world today. You're listening to Limp Biscuit for for Nookie and for Break Stuff and for something stupid. It's a guilty pleasure. It's a fun song, and it doesn't need to be anything more than that. And that's kind of the way I feel with with this album, kind of. Yeah, we you, you guys realize that you've used more air quotes uh, for this episode <laughs> than I think the last <laughs> thirty episodes combined. Um, 
And uh, Wayne, in keeping with the spirit of our previous guest, Eric Miller from Pods and Sods, who uh, likes to do the little known but untrue fact. So the uh, the song Skinny Love from Bon Iver was, a, was written in response to this Poison song. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, Eric will approve of, of my little little known but untrue fact. All right, let's get some scores. Um, Wayne. 14. This is my 11. And then Brian. 13. All right. And here is Let It Play. I think that that this song um, kind of feeds into what you guys were just talking about of let's just have some fun with the song and um, yeah, just let it, let it play. Right. Yeah. It, it's like, it's all about the music. It, I mean, and it's, it, it's in their wheelhouse. Once again, he's, he's talking about how tough it is, you know, to, to boss is bitching and the cold outside and the car won't start, but he's, He's like I say, he's staying in his lane and you can hear it in the entire band when they do what they're good at. Yeah, we 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 should have done we should have tried to do a harmony part for me introducing this song. Because again, <laughs> going back to the whole point of completely stupid and unnecessary yeah. introductions, they you know, they harmonize. Well then they purposely do it out of sync. So it's it's a joke that but once again yeah. but this time they're in on it. It's funny is there's many times yes. where Brett Michaels is not in on the joke. And in this case, they absolutely it's done off, it's done a little bit out of sync. They're you know, it's supposed to be funny and it's and it runs into this and like i say what this is some of cc's best guitar work this has a real like a really cool southern rock uh sound to it that's different from a lot of he really he really shines on this one again with the notes man oh my god i couldn't i couldn't agree more this song is my favorite song on the album it's simple fun and straight ahead the joke they do at the beginning with the off-timing vocals at the end of it, Brett Michael laughs and goes <laughs> something like that. And right. it just puts off this really fun vibe. Now the song is, I have re- has a classic rock slash Southern rock feel. I couldn't believe that you said that too. So I'm glad I'm not the only one hearing that. And the double time at the end of the song where they almost get into that gospel double time clap at the end of the song when they're all set. It's just so much fun. It's infectious. And even as an 11 year old, that song has held up, has held up for me, and I have that on some of my other playlists that have nothing to do with hair bands, just because it's just such a fun, happy song that just it it's not necessarily it doesn't feel like a typical Poison song, but again, they're not trying to rethink the wheel here. They, this is their wheelhouse, and this is what they're good at. Yeah. yeah, I I like the sentiment of the song. I mean, just go to the 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 chorus of 
look, it's safe to say that all three of us find solace in music. And so when you look at the chorus of, but when I hear the music, all my troubles just fade away. When I hear the music, Amen. let it play, let it play. Absolutely. I look, that's, that's my sentiment, man. This is, this is music has always been a happy place for me. And, um, I can't believe that I'm actually giving this my 14 considering that the introduction is so cheesy and stupid, but I like the, <laughs> I like the sentiment of it and it's, and it's fun. It's to your point, Brian, this is a fun song. You can't after, after listening to this song, you can't just have a smile on your face. I mean, it's just, it's fun. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. Yeah. And I mean, and you can and say you cross that bridge when you come to it and sure as darkness, I can see the day. You can get away with that when when everybody's having a good time. Otherwise, you get the spotlight shown on you. But yeah. just have. Yeah. yeah. And he, he, he's not great. But when he sticks to what he knows and every, like I say, you can I feel like you can hear it from the rest of the band when they're doing a poison song. They're. They, you get everybody's best effort. I could hear this song on the first two records. Oh, absolutely. At least on the second one, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say that there's something with this song that, like what you talked about with the the love of music, a lot of people could relate to that. Maybe more so us, the the you know the self proclaimed music nerds, but that I guess that's what always attached to me because I was always such a fan of music and I always wanted to learn more about music and listen to more music and talk more about music. And this song kind of is that type of love song to that. So this was my fourteen as well. I mean, shocked that this was not a single and Flesh and Blood Sacrifice was. I really feel they missed the ball on this one. This was a hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree, and. uh Let's see. Wayne, did I get your score? It's a 12. Okay. Yeah, and speaking of singles that probably shouldn't have been a single, here's the next song. This is Life Goes On. You healed up my wounds. I tasted your tears. You spilled out your heart, so I This was the fourth single, uh, reached number 35 on the Billboard Hot 100, which is shocking to me because I don't recall ever hearing this on any radio stations I listened to back. Uh, I saw the video. I don't, I didn't ever, I, I didn't listen. I don't, they didn't really get on the radio as much as, as they got on MTV. There were definitely yeah, more. Right, visual, right. But I remember the, this is, uh, this is the first of three absolutely terrible power ballads. Um, you healed up my wounds. I tasted your tears. I just, I can't, I laugh and dry heave when I hear the lyrics to this song. (laughs) Yeah. The lyrics are awful. I totally agree. This was the band saying, okay, every rose was a hit. Let's just rewrite that with a little heavier feel to it. And we'll at least be guaranteed some airplay. And that's exactly what they did here. The only redeeming value of that. No, I was going to say, I don't think it's fair to lump the other three in. I really feel like this is Brett Michaels. I think that he, because once again, 
I I think you're exactly right. I think this is a jump off of every rose has a thorn, which was a would I wouldn't once again like Toto's Africa. I'm not gonna I don't call it a good song, but it but it worked and it it did what it was supposed to and it was the right time for it. And now he's trying to duplicate it. Okay, and, so mm-hmm. so so on that point, Wayne, what is your opinion of the song "I Won't Forget You"? I think it's the best. I think it's better than "Every Rose Has a Thorn." Really? Because I. I feel like this song is total formula of I won't forget you. Oh, I, yeah, it's I hear a little bit to, of it. They're they're hmm. trying to Good do point. what they've done before. Like I say, it's funny as we I saved this line, but they'll a lot of people say that Nirvana killed hair metal, but it's shit like this that killed hair metal. That <laughs> and Firehouse and Danger Danger and Bang Tango that this is the crap that killed hair metal. I mean, it could have probably existed on a less lesser, you know, less popular level. There's always going to be rock and roll. People are always going to like stuff a little bit heavier and about sex, drugs and getting laid. But this is just uh, I mean, the lack of inspiration from the other three is palpable. They, they it, it's like I can see them in the booth wishing they were anywhere else. What about I do the have this. OK, this, though. That's where I was going to, believe it or not, to me, that's the one redeeming piece of this song. I absolutely love C.C. DeVille's guitar solo in this song. It is different than I Won't Forget You. It comes in with a little bit of a bluesy feel in the beginning of the solo and then transitions into his speed shredding that for some reason, just like that section of the song, I love so much that I actually suffer through the first two verses to get to that guitar solo. I just love it. I have no idea why. Again, hearing it for the first time at 11 years old, there was just something with that guitar solo that resonated with me, and I still enjoy it more than any other part of that song. Yeah, the, I would, and I would say that the guitar solo is the best part of it, but I also would say that in my notes that it's not – I didn't – it sounded like a lot of other – guitar players. Once again, I think he does have a more unique style and that that solo didn't sound terribly different than anything that I had heard from bands in this this through this whole period. That's a good point. I'll I'll, I'll give that. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Let's get some scores on this. Wayne. Oh, yeah, I gave it a 3, but that's only cuz I don't have enough twos. You're really <laughs> All right, Brian. I gave it an 11 just for the guitar solo. Yeah, I gave it a 12 for the guitar solo. All right, this is Come Hell or High Water.
So this was my prediction for Wayne's top pick, since it sounds more like a song off of Look What the Cat Dragged In. And is that even proper English? Is it drug in or dragged in? Oh, God. you didn't tell me there was going to be a test on this. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> this song is so hair metal. This is it's complete filler, but it's at, but it's at least poison filler. And it it sounds too similar to Valley of Lost Souls, which got me to thinking poison never really tried. They never really sounded like anybody else or they never tried to. You know, we did somebody just recently where they oh the knack where they literally rip off the Rolling Stones. Poison never did that, even when they did, you know, rock and roll all night or uh Look, Mama Don't Dance, it sounded like Poison's version of those songs. So they at least have their yep, own yep. sound. And when they stick to it, they they can do they they do all right. And like I say, this this to me is filler, but at least it's poison filler. It's one of the heaviest songs on the album. And again, air quotes, heavy. It's heavy for poison. Um, yeah. I can't see Brett Michaels hitting the notes in this song in 2020. No, this is like the upper register. The second half of the verse for Brett Michaels is the upper register. He's pinning it in 1990. There's no way in 2020 he's singing this song unless they're detuning it. And lyrically, it's probably the angriest of poison lyrics you're ever going to get where he's, I'll watch you choke on your last words. It's about time you get what you deserved. That's the angriest you're ever going to hear poison ever. But he never yeah. lived by nobody's rules, which that is a double negative, yeah. I'm pretty sure. And uh, I won't be sinking on that sh- on that ship of fools. Yeah, he's he's uh, it's blowing in the wind. That's <laughs> <laughs> was it was it necessary to be five minutes long on this song? No, no, definitely overstate yeah. its welcome. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's that's probably my biggest criticism on this song. It just drug on or dragged on. And I think that's a big thing with this whole album. I, at one point, owned this on vinyl. And it was one of the few albums that I decided to just turn around and get rid of right away. Because when it was originally pressed, I thought it was like a goldmine album that I found it. I was so excited to finally spin this album on vinyl. And they put it on one record. And Uh, this album is almost 60 minutes long. So by the time you get to come hell or high water, it's the last song on the first side of the record and it's 28 minutes in. And this song sounds so distorted and so out of whack that I couldn't even listen to the vinyl without just getting just terribly annoyed. So I ended up getting rid of it and just going back to my CD when I was going to listen to it. Did this song really need that subtle keyboard in the background? I get that it's 89, 90 period, but oh man, that, that's just overproduction in my opinion. Just get rid of that keyboard part. Let's get some scores on this. I gave, I gave this a seven and I don't know that's probably even too high for, for this, but Wayne, what you got? I gave it a nine. Okay. And then Brian. I gave it a seven as well, but it's just one of those songs that kind of falls to the middle of the pack. It, it didn't, I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's, I, I, you know, that's basically all I could say about it. It's just kind of there and there's songs that are worse and songs that are better. So I kind of put it right in the middle. Yeah. All right. Next song is Ride the Wind.
And you know what this this song is missing? It's missing <laughs> Michael McDonald. It needs to have <laughs> Michael McDonald to ride like the wind. Uh, there you go. There, there's another dad joke for for you. And I just there throw that go. out there because Wayne loves Christopher Cross. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I'm... he doesn't. That, that would be me. <laughs> um, all right. I figured that's where you were going with it, but I was like, hey, to each their own. <laughs> so this was the third single off the record. Um, reached number 38 on the Billboard Hot 100, 25 on the mainstream rock charts. Again, I don't recall ever hearing this on the radio, but um, yeah. What do you guys have to say about Ride the Wind? Uh, uh, you know what? I can't believe I gave it a four. In fact, I'm not going to give it a four. I'm going to give it two twos. This is an abomination. (laughs) Hearts of fire, streets of stone, lick the wind. Lick the wind. You know, I mean, like he, he's acting like he's sleeping on the side of the road in in a sleeping bag. You know, he's got a, I'm sure he's got like a $75,000 Harley that he, he's, this is ridiculous. This whole biker theme that he's trying to paint with the his oh the lyrics are just uh, an abomination it's the only word i can think of my favorite lyrics to this is here's to lovely ladies in a million miles in the night she whispers really she whispers ride the wind is that like a sexual <laughs> innuendo now is that what ride the wind is oh it could be oh my goodness this thing Please breaks no. the wind now when i listened to this song i initially the first time i heard it i said oh they're rewriting fallen angel i felt exactly that's where they were going with this song if you like fallen angel you'll love ride the wind and i feel like that's exactly they were basically trying to rewrite it in my opinion the riff is something simple repetitive and when I picked up a guitar, it was one of the first things I'm like, oh, look, I could play a poison song. You know, it's there's not much to it, but it was fun. And that was it. The lyrics are awful. And again, had Brett had that second lyrical writer like he did on Native Tongue when Richie Kotzen was writing some of the lyrics, the song might score higher if it wasn't so terrible with the lyrics. Yeah, and I'm looking at my score, and I'm like, "Did I really give this a nine? Oh, uh, but yeah. it's one. I'm, of the, I'm looking. Thing. I'm looking back now, saying the same thing. Again, saying the again, same it's, thing. It's it's catchy, and that's that's what got it a little bit that's higher so score. This is ridiculous. I cannot believe that I just heard someone saying nine. Oh, oh, you're well. gonna hate me then. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. Tell him. Uh, I gave it a ten. <sighs> and then Wayne, what do you got? <laughs> I. Two times two. I gave it a four, but that's yeah, absolutely yeah. against my will. Like I, I can't believe that I had to. Nope. Nobody's holding a gun, man. Nobody's holding a gun. I already used the two and the three. Yeah. All right. Uh, next song is "Don't Give Up an Inch."
And, uh, oh, yes, the rampant hair metal sexual innuendo of the late 80s and early 90s. Is is Brett really trying to convince us that his penis is a mile long, though? (laughs) Because he he mentions that in the lyrics, uh, uh, if you won't take me for a mile. I mean, come on. Come on, Brett. (laughs) I guess for the mile, but... Uh, and P- I'm sure he is. This is, I love this song. This is, I can't believe that they You're didn't ridiculous. do more with this. Uh, it's, it's kind of that, you know, your first sexual experience. It's full of, once again, corn, extremely corny sexual innuendos. But once again, the, the, the way they put, like when they do the pre-chorus they're everybody's given it everything they got on this one. And every, and it's, it's, they're, Everybody's gotten their best effort. The lyrics are so oh. stupid, though. Oh, put me, put, put me least... in you like a flesh tattoo. What, yeah, what absolutely. in the world does that even mean? <laughs> I, I have Wayne level. Vi- I hate this song. I do too. Based, the lyrics are so bad, so bad. Mary, Mary, quite, quite. Contra- we, we've, we've devolved into nursery rhymes in this song, and put me to the test. Lay me down to rest. At least he used two different words. He could have just said fire and said ice. Twice. I feel like they were reading it out of a Dr. Seuss book. It was just so cheesy. I yeah. I could not get past the lyrics in this one. Even Put it this way. Don't give up an inch. When I was listening to this song growing up, you know what it sounded like? Because I would fast forward over it on my cassette every single time it started. <laughs> Yeah, the lyrics of made this boy's bell ring and there I earned my wings. I mean, come on. Maybe oh. Red Bull maybe Red Bull should should use this song as a theme song <laughs> since Red Bull gives you wings, right? Is uh, Red Bull maybe a sexual euphemism and we just didn't know it? I think it's a I think it could a, be. It's an urban dictionary. I don't know. I don't exactly know what you have to do to get a yeah. Red Bull, but I think I, it can be done. Honestly, this song is a B-side, and it's not even a good B-side at that. I'm shocked it made the album. Yeah. I, I think they bring. I think everybody brings their best effort and plays a poison song. And I will. I you could. I will say this: the the taste in my. I mean, the taste in my mouth from Ride the Wind. I'm not going to say that there wasn't an effect, you know, for just listening to something else. Like the next thing is going to. You know what I mean. The girl breaks your heart, and the next thing you see, you go, ah, but I love her. She's not terrible like the last one. Okay, well, that's the way I'm gonna I'm gonna use that that excuse <laughs> for the next song then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, well, Wayne, just so you know, uh, for "Ride the Wind," since it left a bad taste in your mouth, usually when you're riding in the wind, you're supposed to keep your mouth closed. So <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I wish Brett Michaels would have done. Oh. <laughs> All right. All right, let's get some scores. This is my deuce. Wayne, what you got? 13. And then Brian? Honestly, I'd give it a zero if I could. I don't <laughs> believe it belongs on the album. I gave it a three just because it it had lyrics in it, so I put it above one and two. But now that I'm thinking about it, I like Strange <laughs> Days of Uncle Jack more. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Here's uh, here's another single. This is something to believe in. Underneath the broken old neon sign. Used to read Jesus sings. Oh, 
what poison can bring people together and it can tear people apart. I just was a fine example. <laughs> we had, we'd come so far to, to find out where we differ. But uh, no, if we're on something to believe in, I will say this. This is not the worst song they ever did. And the only reason I know that is because on Amazon, I listened to the 2006 remaster, which includes the 2003 alternate acoustic take of this song, which is by far the worst piece of shit that's ever been put to digitally ever. And it include, and then following that, they did an instrumental of God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols, which I don't understand either because Poison, as much as I do like them, is the least punk rock thing that it, that survives on the planet. Oh, okay. I, I well, let's just be honest. Brett Michaels, I, I felt like they were doing us a favor having Brett sit out of that because I don't want to hear him sing Johnny Rotten. Yeah. I had you know, like. Skid Row, when they did the Make a Difference Foundation CD, Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hell, uh, Skid Row did a version of, uh, I think it was, oh God, was it Anarchy? In the, no, Motley Crue did that one. Um, Holidays in the Sun by Skid Row. And Sebastian Bach pulled it off and it worked. I don't feel like Brett Michaels could have sang his way through God Save the Queen and did anything to it that I think it was left off for a reason. Oh, absolutely. I think that I've, yeah, I think John John Lydon would have pro- possibly had him killed. <laughs> I think John would have done it himself. I couldn't agree with you more about the acoustic version. I-, I think those were all the lyrics that he wrote that weren't good enough to make it on the album. <laughs> and he said, "Well, I-, I I I spent like the last twenty minutes writing them. Can I? Can't we do something?" And they said, "How about an acoustic B side?" And he took it because I really don't know where. Like it was so depressing. I I wanted to go listen to something. I don't know. Listen to like, I can't even think of an album that's more depressing than the lyrics in that song. Like it is just terrible thing after terrible thing. I needed to listen to the cure to cheer me up or something. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, All right. So this song was a top 10 hit. This was poison's last top 10 on the billboard chart. Uh, reached number four on the Hot 100. Um, you guys know the background of this song was dedicated to, I guess, Brett Michaels' best friend who yeah. had died sometime earlier. Yeah, and that's what that's what highlights this song is uh, as he actually had an actual personal experience, and he still couldn't sell it. He st- it still sounds completely insincere and. And just unredeemable. And yet he had, he hasn't act. He what open up your heart. And I mean, I just can't believe that he literally had a personal reference to, to, to frame this song around. And it still sounds like a, an empty piece of shit. I don't carry that sentiment. <laughs> I not, not that this is like the greatest, you know, hair ballad ever, but, um, it's not bad. Uh, and maybe I'm giving it a way higher score than it deserves. Cause this is my 13. Uh, cause I, I do remember it being on the radio. I do recall that people really like this song. I don't, I don't, I don't love this song. Uh, maybe my, my score seems to indicate that I do, but 
I think he sells it. And that's where I'm like, are, are we listening to the same song? Yeah, I, I, f- I find this interesting because this song is one of the few that my father got on board with from that era. Because he always felt like every ballad that would come on if I was watching or listening to music, it was always the same thing over and over again. He felt like they were all one and the same. And the two power ballads, if you want to call them that, from the 80s era that he kind of bonded with me on as if to say, hey, when you're making me a cassette for my van, put those, put these two on there for me. It was Something to Believe in by Poison and Janie's Got a Gun by Aerosmith. Just because the topic was different, he felt like the songs kind of brought something new to the cliched power ballad that was over and over and over and over and over again. So to me, just having that bond with him on it made me feel like the song was a more mature something even at the time because i was you know 10 11 years old my father was in his 40s and we were connecting on on some level for that song does that does that equate into your score yes it does entirely and i will say the ending of the song where it's the you take the high road i'll take the low road i feel like that's a precursor to what the band really went all in on on native tongue with their single stand where they brought the gospel choir in. I felt like this is what they were trying to do at the end of something to believe in, but probably didn't have the label on board with it yet. And by selling something to believe in, they were able to go to that level with native tongue. Yeah, I I can see that. All right. Your score, Brian, I gave it a nine. I'm not even going to ask Wayne for his. So, okay, Wayne, I, I will. What's your score? I begrudgingly gave it a one, which deserves nothing. <laughs> begrudgingly. You're high. All right. Uh, Ball and Chain is the next song. beginning kind of has this like rock and roll ain't noise pollution feel to it felt like uh, it was very acdc um the one question that i've got for you guys is is the band trying to convince us that calling your significant other a ball and chain is a good thing in the misogynistic way of poison back in 1989 probably yeah Okay, I would never vocalize that sentence. <laughs> I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying that yeah. that seemed to be the tone they were going for in this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, also has a very Warren Cherry Pie vibe to me. I could hear that. I could definitely hear that. Like, same, albums came out around the same time. Yeah, yeah. All right, Wayne, what do you got on this one? Nothing new. I mean, I think they they play a poison, you know, a filler type song. And they do just fine at it. I don't, you know, let's take my ball and chain and go dance and put on your good dress. And uh, they don't break any new ground here. 
Uh, okay. Yeah, it, it the album, this song is totally feels like a B-side to me. I have the same notes as you, uh, Ben. I felt like the opening riff has Angus Young written all over it. And there's nothing bad about the song, but in a worse way, there's nothing memorable about it. It's mm-hmm. just there. I never found myself going to this song. I feel like Something to Believe in should have been the second to last song on the album, and there should have been one other song, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but I felt like there was no reason for this song to be on the album either. I felt like they put way too much on the album to reach that 58-minute mark or whatever it was. And again, the lyrics are terrible. Come on, come on, get undressed and put on a smile. Like, that. it just was just there. And going back and listening to it now, it didn't hold up at all. Whereas like uh, Let It Play holds up and still puts a nice feeling. This just was like, yeah, I don't see myself going back to listening to this one anytime soon. Yeah. I'm looking at my score. I'm like, did I really give it a six? Um, but yeah, I just ran out of numbers, right? Uh, yeah. Wayne, your score? I gave it a seven. And then Brian? I gave it a four. Okay. Next song is Life Loves a Tragedy. as a hair ballad as they do for like the first minute and a half would that have changed either of you guys' scores for this yeah if they'd have continued on the way they started it my score would be extremely lower <laughs> That's yeah i was that. gonna say to say i completely agree with wayne on that i th- i wish they would have removed the first ballad part of the song because i feel like the song really kicks into gear after that and what's funny is we were talking kind of going back and forth on twitter this morning and uh 17 candles on twitter was responding to both of us saying how much he loves the opening to that song which i thought was interesting because i felt the exact opposite which is kind of what we always talk about is people pick up different pieces of these songs and yeah this this is an interesting one yeah i feel like if they would have lopped that first intro again going back to why are you doing all these stupid intros um i feel like if they would have lopped that first minute and a half and just went up straight up you know cheesy rock song this could have been a good third single in my opinion Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure they at least made a video for it and i i don't i don't disagree with that statement but i what i what i think would have worked because i think what they're trying to do is make is is a big contrast i just if they did the first if they did that part better, maybe. But I, I mean, I, I guess I felt like I knew what they were trying to do because, but they it needed to be done better. It was done poorly. And so when it finally kicks in to that, you know, that revved up spot, you're glad. But I mean, I think they were trying to set, I think they were trying to do some, some really clever kind of a contrast thing. And they just, they shit the bed on the first half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I kind—I I totally agree with that. I think once the song kicks in, 
this is where they're really leaning into the more serious lyric tones. Because I mean, if you just listen to like one of the lines as well, my vices have turned to habits and my habits have turned to stone. The lies chipped away at my smile while the truth ate me down to the bone for Brett Michaels. That's actually pretty poetic in telling a story about what, you know, that the, the negative stuff that he's been dealing with and it's not right on the nose. There's a little bit of thinking that's involved with those lyrics. And that also elevated the, the, the number, my score on the song too. I think the, had they cut that opening off, this would have been a single. Yeah. Uh, lyrically not super strong either. Um, Um, but, um, none of these songs are though. Let's be honest. You know, we're talking in the context of this album, not against anything else here. Yes. Uh, this is my 10 again. I'm, I'm rethinking all of my scores. I did my scores like three weeks ago (laughs) and, uh, I never changed them. And I probably, I probably should have, um, Wayne, your score. A six. This one, and I, I feel like maybe I could have been higher because, but I it definitely gets it gets sucked down from that first part. And like I say, I know what yeah. they, I feel like I know what they were trying to do, but they just did it so poorly. I, I'm just gonna say what Wayne said. I gave it a six as well, and all of his reasons why are my reasons why. I couldn't agree more. This is yet another weird intro into the song. Did you did you feel like they needed to create so many of these songs with those those little gimmicky things? I think they were trying to stretch the length of the album out. Why? I, that's the only I have no idea. Yeah. But the album just feels way too long and way too bloated. And this is one of those songs where if it came out in 1995, there would have been 10 minutes of silence after Life Loves a Tragedy. And then you would have gotten this as a hidden single. That's what this is. This is a hidden track. Wayne, what you got? Um, I think CeCe's guitar is the star of the show. I th- I couldn't figure out who played the harmonica. I have to believe that if it was Brett Michaels, then that would be common knowledge. So I, I Probably Brett because he did it on Good Love on uh, Open Up and Say Ah. Yeah. Then he, I'm surprised he didn't take credit for it on the Wikipedia page. I should probably have that. That should be amended. Um, I think all bands of this era were very – trying very hard to prove that they were blues based. Um, and so I felt like they, they, they got an A for effort, but a C plus for execution. I feel like this song had Richie Kotzen been in the fold, uh, like what you hear on native tongue. I would have loved to hear him play it because to me, I love CC's playing and it's so distinct that I didn't feel it in the blues style. It's not that it's not good. It's just, I'm used to hearing CC a certain way. And I just felt like he was trying to kind of push himself into this bluesy Joe Perry from Aerosmith kind of blues rock feel 
which was much more suited for Kotzen's style of playing. If you hear the album after this, you'd definitely hear that more bluesy feel. I feel like this is out of CC's wheelhouse and they were just kind of having fun with it. But again, just like with Ball and Chain, I really don't know why it's on the album at all. I'd agree with you. This is my four. Wayne, what'd you got? I gave it an eight. I, I, I did enjoy it. I knew I'd say, I don't think they did it as well as they could have, but I know, I knew what they were trying to do, I guess is, is where they got extra points. All right. And Brian, your score. I, I gave it a five. I feel like, again, if this was 1995 and this single was 10 minutes after life loves a tragedy, which in my mind, going back to a point I made earlier is probably the album closer to me and you remove ball and chain and poor boy blues and uh, don't give up an inch. And I feel like when you start trimming the fat, there is of an A album here, but the album is sitting at a you know B plus because of some of these filler tracks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is the point where I ask, uh, did we did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? I bet we've probably covered this more than anyone has previously covered this. <laughs> Maybe. I- <laughs> Well, that was the reason I picked the album. I thought it would be a lot of fun to talk about. Again, it's not one of my most favorite albums of all time, but man, does it strike up a great conversation. I I knew exactly when he told me what you chose. I knew exactly why you chose it. And I agree. I think we could, if we talked about even their first two albums, it'd be, you know, more or less a love fest probably. And this one has definitely has flaws. It definitely has interesting, you know, uh, interesting things to talk about. Well, yeah, there's many albums where I could have picked and that all I would do is just gush over every song. And I felt like that's not in fairness to what you guys are doing. I wanted to have an album where I had some very positive and very negative things to say, because if I just came on here and gushed over the album the entire time, I know there's some albums I could do that with. There's a lot of them. I just thought it would be more fun to kind of have something that kind of was a little bit of equal love and hate. I would kind of compare you to our our punk line of uh of referrals so none of them have picked like the the most popular records of the bands that they've picked like ronnie barnett of the muffs picked the next second record uh mighty joe vinson picked pleasant dreams by the ramones um we did dead boys second record not their really great first record so, right so right I think, I think you were like yeah let's touch some nerves let's do this so, yeah, I think it's definitely one, even like I said, on our little Twitter exchange, people are, yeah. you know, there's some interest in this album. And I was like, wow, I, I was actually shocked. I was afraid you guys were going to think I was trolling you when I picked it, but there's a, <laughs> but I meant it with all sense. Cause I told you like I could, there's a blues traveler album that I could pick, but no, I don't think there was ever even a real single released off. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah. And I could say just nothing but good things about it, but in the grand scheme of what we're here to talk about, I didn't feel like it lent itself to as much conversation as this one did. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Let's, uh, let's go through our top five. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there so that you guys understand. Um, first time ever, we have a three-way tie for number five based off of our <laughs> cumulative scores. And that's, that's mostly cause uh, we were all over the place as far as our scores go. Um, did we, Interesting. did we agree on anything? What? You and I agreed on, uh, love, 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 um, 
Life loves a tragedy. Yeah, I'm I'm talking about did we did any of us all three of us agree on any songs and we did not. No, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> we're, pretty, uh, we're all pretty close on let it play. That's clearly number 1 that that got a, a average score of 13.33. Unskinny Bop got an average score of 12.67. That is our number 2. Number 3. Here's where it drops off a little bit. Life goes on. 8.67 uh, average score. Valley of Lost Souls got an eight. So that's our our number four song. And then here's our three-way tie. So we've got Come Hell or High Water. We've got Ride the Wind and Something to Believe in. So even with Wayne's Uno, um, couldn't completely sink it out of the top five. Sorry, buddy. I know you were trying. <laughs> I know you were trying. <laughs> I'll say this much. I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that Let It Play is number one because that's always been my favorite song on the album. It's been that way for almost 30 years. And I thought you guys were going to laugh when I picked that one as my top. So yeah. actually pretty happy to hear that. It's uh, everyone's favorite here. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's our that's our one. Well, Brian, this has been fun. <laughs> yes, very much. Oh, I've had a blast, man. Yeah. Thanks for picking this. Um, all right. So this is your time to to, to plug away. Tell, tell people where they can find Tune Styles. All right. You can find Tune Styles at tunestylespodcast.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Tune Styles Podcast. We are on Twitter at Tune Styles. We can, you can email us at tunestylespodcast at gmail.com. Or the one our favorite is you can call into the show and leave a message that will run on future shows, which is 908-975-9375. That's 908-975-9375. And you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, wherever you listen to awesome podcasts like Records Revisited. Perfect. Um, and this is usually where I ask the referral question of, uh, who do you know that I don't know? Uh, have you guys started using that question? Not yet. We are going to be after hearing, after talking with you about it, I <laughs> realize it's a fantastic, yeah. fantastic question to ask. So just so you know, um, I dropped your guys's names with, uh, pods and sods with, uh, Eric Miller. And, um, so, uh, you, you, uh, I'll have to introduce you guys so that uh, you can start doing some appearances on on his show as well. He's always looking for collaboration, and um, Eric is, in my opinion, he's one of the podfathers of music podcasts. Awesome, been, awesome. Been doing it forever, so uh, I'll, I'll reverse this question and I'll, I'll give you the referral over to Eric and uh, get you get you hooked up with them. So. Awesome. And we could definitely talk offline because like I said, there's a, uh, you and I probably go through the same process trying to book guests for the show. So oh, you yeah. and I can talk and trade notes because, you know, there's, there's the one thing about this podcast space, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of podcasts and trying to trim your way and find ones that you really resonate with. And I'm very excited that, you know, we connected over Twitter and I got to discover your guys show because I genuinely enjoy listening to it. I like tuning in. I feel like I'm involved in the banter, even when I'm not a guest. And it's something that 
there's I feel like sometimes podcasts are trying to compete against each other as opposed to embracing each other. And especially because, you know, we kind of all play close to the chest here with our love for music. I think it's a fantastic way to cross over and introduce our listeners to you guys and vice versa. Hopefully some of the records revisited listeners will give Tune Styles a chance. And like, I hope the people at Tune Styles will give you guys a chance as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All right, we'll wrap this up. So as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited Podcast. Go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com for all of our previous episodes. And uh, like Brian, you can find us on all the major platforms, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Spotify, and yeah, we're active on the old Twitter. So go to at Podcast Records, um, or you can go to Instagram, Wayne, Wayne Man's the Instagram account. And that's Records Revisited Podcast. So everyone, thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store. And not just on Record Store Day, we are Records Revisited. And we are... Out. Out. Out.